hustlers, road players, tournament champions. Hear the stories, get their advice, learn about their lives. Our host, Joey Ryan, brings you an inside look at the professional pool player. You're listening to the Pool Player Podcast, brought to you by Pool Scene 365. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Pool Player Podcast brought to you by Pool Scene 365. I'm your host, Joey Ryan, and today we have a guest with us, uh, just a great player. He's really burst onto the scene the last few years. Uh, Most notably, he's been a member of the last two Moscone Cup uh, U.S. winning teams, Uh, and he also won a really great event last year in 2019, international event, the Kremlin Cup. And if you look at the list of players that were in that event, they were just some absolute killers in that thing. And so uh, I first met him at the BCA uh, Platinum Tournament a few years ago, and it's just been fun watching his rise. So without further ado, let me just introduce you to Tyler Steyer. Tyler, thanks for joining. Yeah, what's going on? I want to get in and get to know you a little better. And I'm just going to start off with asking you, uh, can you give me an idea of, you know, like the beginnings of pool for you? How'd you get started? Um, nobody in my family really played. We had one of those air hockey foosball table, you know, little, I don't know, $300 kits that, um, my parents got for Christmas for my siblings and I, and, you know, I just, I love to play the game. Um, from a young age, I really don't know what it was, but, um, it just, it got me. So I just kept playing and playing. At what point did you decide that, Hey, there's something to this. I'm, pretty good at it I have talent and I want to try to do it competitively um when I was like 13 or 14 my mom and dad got these instructional videos for me um and once I started to really understand what was happening and you know you go to the practice table and you try and make it happen and you mess up you mess up you mess up and you finally get to the point where you start to do it and you know there's there's that learning curve in everything you do and um, I think once pool is more about um, knowledge than anything, and then you just do the repetitions and you figure it out. So um, having those instructional videos early on, you know, really helped me improve fast, which gave me kind of that belief in myself that I could do it. Yeah. So let me ask you this in terms of, you know, your competitive career, once you got going and started playing, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Cause I think about, you know, I, I'm not the player you are, but as I was progressing and uh, becoming better, I'd start playing against players and they're beating me like five times out of, you know, or they're beating me like, yeah, five times out of six. And then before you know it, I start winning a few. And then I have that revelation, like, Hey, they're not that much better than me. And then right. I start passing them and I get to the next level. Well, at what point did you basically arrive at the professional scene where, you know, maybe you were playing in open tournaments and being competitive, but then all of a sudden you started beating some really good players and you said, there's no reason I can't be one of these guys. That happened down at the Karen room in Beloit, Wisconsin, one of the um, nicest pool rooms here in the Midwest. And I was playing a, I was playing a 10 ball tournament and the players in that tournament were Dennis Hatch. Jason Klatt, Tom McCluskey, who's a top player from Chicago, uh, Dave Coles, one of the top players in the state, Larry Neville. And I won that tournament. And once, once I realized that, hey, if I just 
run out when I'm supposed to and, you know, just play a good safety when I'm supposed to, you know, you're just, you're going to force other players to make mistakes. So, um, you know, it's not like, you know, basketball or football or, you know, nobody can actually play defensive against you like one-on-one. So as long as you, you know, take control of the table, um, really the, the sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want in this game. It really just depends on how many hours you put in uh, just practicing the craft and getting to the point where, you know, you don't have any weaknesses. Yeah. So do you have any other hobbies or interests or special skills uh, like for instance, I can juggle a soccer ball. <laughs> I don't know if you know sure. that, <laughs> but do you have anything else that uh, is kind of something people don't know about you that you're pretty good at? Um, over uh, this whole COVID quarantine stuff, I was going crazy with no tournaments and just practicing every day. So um, I got into archery a little bit. Oh, wow. So the Moscone cup has been overlapped with gun deer season for the last two years. And I really miss the time going up with my grandparents and spending time with them. They have a hundred acres up North. So, um, used to go up there every, every Thanksgiving and spend some time with them. But, uh, I haven't been able to go the last couple of years because Moscone come. So the actual bow season, archery seasons, uh, like starts in September. So, you know, it just gives me more time to be able to go up there and spend with them. Um, and it's actually really similar to pool, like the amount of time it takes to shoot a shot you know, just practicing your breathing and, you know, focusing on your target and everything. And they're actually really similar. Yeah. I was going to ask that. I mean, I guess pretty much anything with hand-eye coordination, you're probably, you know, decent at, I would imagine if not good. And so how much overlap is it between those two things? Yeah, there's a ton. And, you know, I, I'm pretty fortunate. I grew up in a pretty competitive household. Um, my dad, my brother and I, even my sister, we're always competing. We're always trying to beat each other. Um, so that was something that just, I was kind of grown up with. So, um, even in archery, when I'm doing it by myself, I'm super competitive. Like if I'm not shooting good one day, I might shoot for six or seven hours until I figure it out. Oh, wow. So, um, it's just, it's just something that, uh, once, once I get into something, like I get really into it. So I actually had to pull myself away from archery a little bit because I was practicing a little bit less than I was supposed to, because I was just so focused on it. But during this time, you know, that was more in like April, May-ish where I was, I was shooting a lot and, you know, I had so much time on my hands. It really didn't matter that much. It sounds like you're one of those guys that once you get into something, you don't want to be mediocre at it. You want to really give it your best and try to be the best you can at it. Is that accurate? Yeah. I don't really like, you know, there's a lot of people that are good at a lot of things. Like some people can fix cars and cook and, you know, they can fix up the house and they can do that. You know, they, they're good at like, 12 things. Well, the yeah. people that, the people that really stand out are the ones that are great at just one thing. Like if you're top 10 in the world at one thing, you know, you're getting rewarded for it. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of people that are good at multiple things. And I just think you can't, you can't focus on one thing when you have so many other things that you're occupied with. Yeah, that's a good point. So I first met you, I guess it was like four or five years ago now out in Vegas. And, you know, it was one of those tournaments. It was the BCA platinum and, you know, you've had these tournaments mm-hmm. where the whole tournament you're playing, you're, you know, and you see this other guy and you're advancing through the tournament and you're like, hey, I bet I'm going to play that guy at some point. And I kind of felt that way about you. I was like, hey, he's a good player. I'm watching him. And I bet I'm going to play this guy. And sure enough, we played for the third, fourth match, I think it was. 
And I remember, you know, going into that match and, and saying, Hey, this, this looks like a cool guy. I like to get to know him, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I, I'm going to pick on you a little bit. Cause when the match started, okay, I had two observations. And the first observation was you were so business. Like I made a couple, <laughs> I had a couple of jokes and, you know, trying to get you to loosen up and talk to me a little bit and you were not having it now away from the table, completely different, but at the yeah. table, you know, when it, like on interchanges between me shooting and you shooting, I'd make a comment and you were just like, you know, <laughs> you were dead focused. Is that, mm-hmm. is that purposeful? Take us through like your, your preparation, your mentally, where you're at, your headspace during a match. Honestly, uh, that's how I am at the entire event. Like the second I leave the hotel room, that's my mindset. But you kind of have to put on like this mask a little bit between matches just so people don't think you're a terrible person, <laughs> which I'm, I'm not. I'm just competitive. I'm there for one reason. I want to win. Right. Um, so like – Really, that that's how I am all the time when I'm at a tournament. Like as soon, like really, as soon as I I get on that plane and I fly to a tournament, it's like nothing else matters. Like first place, let's go, let's go get it. Um, so sure, I like to you know have a little fun every now and then between matches and stuff, but you know it's it's really about business. Yeah, I I kind of had that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Good, you're supposed yeah. to. <laughs> well, you 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 beat me pretty easily anyway. <laughs> Uh, but it, it was a great experience because, you know, I got to know you and you're here today. So I appreciate that. But the second thing that I really picked up on and I noticed it at that tournament and then you came down through Phoenix and you played in an event down here. And I had a bunch of people who, you know, I guess they saw us talking at one point, And so they commented like, hey, do you know him? Like, t- tell me more about him. And, um, you know, the comments that people said was that your fundamentals are the best that they've ever seen. You know, and I I tend to agree. I think, you know, when you look at players that are out there, you know, a good buddy of mine, Mike Davis, I interviewed him a few weeks ago and he's been a great player, but his form is just like, it's in spite of his fundamentals, you know? Sure. But your fundamentals are so solid. How did you get such good fundamentals? And do you feel that really helps you at times when maybe you're nervous and, you know, maybe somebody else who doesn't have as good of fundamentals might break down a little bit. Right. I think I'm pretty fortunate with the fact that, um, I, I can learn things pretty quick when I see it. Like I can see someone do something, go to the table and duplicate it pretty quick. Like I'll get out my phone, I'll record myself stance, arm position, grip, bridge, like whatever. And I can just do it. Um, so growing up, there was a owner of the pool room near me. He started teaching me on a Tuesday nights. So we'd go there every Tuesday and just, we'd work out together. His name is uh, Terry Romine Jr. He owns a Romines in Milwaukee. So I worked with Junior for a couple of years. And then I ran into Jerry Bryseth at Derby. And I got some pictures of Jerry. You, you've seen Jerry. He's down on his hands and knees. You know, he's in his seventies and he's down on his hands and knees and showing you what to do and yeah. all that. Um, so Jerry helped me a lot. And then I worked with Stan Sheffett down in Kentucky. I drove down there and spent a weekend with Stan. Um, I've always admired his son's game, Landon. Um, So um, I got into the center to edge pro one thing, and I've been doing that for about eight years now, but that's a completely different topic. But back to fundamentals, um, Stan helped me a lot. And then from there, I started working with Johan. I met Johan in 2017 at one of the boot camps that they were doing. 
now the team was already selected at that point and I wasn't ready, you know, physically or mentally for the Moscone cup in 2017. Yeah. Um, I grew, I grew a lot that year, but um, that was when Johan first got a glimpse of my game. Cause I, I knew the Moscone cup team was down in the camera room in Beloit. So I went there every single day, Monday through Friday and, you know, worked out with the team. All the guys know me. So they didn't mind that I was being there. So I was just doing the drills with them. Yeah. And that's when I got the invitations to do the boot camps um, the, the following year. And, you know, thankfully I made it all the way through to, to make the team. It was, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. You know, I really appreciate that answer because um, one of the goals of this show is to really help players out there that might be aspiring to follow in your footsteps, you know, and, and really make that leap. And I don't hear many stories like you just told of driving mm-hmm. hours to go and train under somebody, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes I know I'm guilty. We fall into this thing as pool players where it's like, well, if I just go to the pool room and hit balls for five hours and gamble a little and play tournaments, yeah. I'm just magically going to get better. You well, know? Two, two things about that. So, you know, I, I do a lot of coaching as well. And I give lessons out of a pool room called the Varsity Club up in Oshkosh. It's about an hour and a half north of Milwaukee. Okay. And I'll have people all the time be like, Hey, do you plan on coming down to Milwaukee anytime soon? You know, it's a little far for me. And I'm like a little far. It's an hour and a half. <laughs> like I said, no, I don't, I don't want to drive down there anymore. You know, yeah. like I drove eight hours down to Kentucky to work with Stan. I drove an hour to Beloit and an hour back every day for a week to go work with Johan. Like you, you have to go out of your way and make it happen. You, 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 the whole, uh, what's the saying, you know, be patient. It'll come or whatever. That's crap. You got to go get it. Yeah, you, you, have to, you, have, you have to do every little thing you possibly can to make it you you know, be in hung- anything, not just in pool. You got to be hungry, you know? Yeah. And absolutely. really make the effort. Yeah. So let so, me switch gears a little bit and sure. talk about um, your, your break and specifically your 10 ball break. I just watched the U S open 10 ball match that you played against James uh, Aranis Mm-hmm. And uh, great match. Uh, you started out, I think you had him down 4 nothing, 5-1. He came back. You ended up getting it at the end. And, uh, you know, I've watched you in events break the balls, and it's, it's pretty remarkable. And in that event, breaking the balls, it's like it's even gotten better. Mm-hmm. And I know the gold standard for 10-ball breaks has always been Shane's, right? And he's just been a monster with breaking 10-ball over the years. Right. But you're not far behind. In fact, you, you might be right there with him. And so give us an idea of what it took to develop that break. How many hours have you invested in breaking the way you do? That's uh, it's kind of funny you mentioned that because I was at Derby City one, one year. And at the beginning of the week, they have the 10-foot, big, the Bigfoot challenge, right, on the 10-foot table. Mm-hmm. And I woke up at like, one or two o'clock in the morning, I couldn't sleep. Uh, so just threw on some clothes and went down to the pool room and, you know, down to the venue and was seeing what was going on, see if there's some action or something just to watch for a little bit. And I would go down to the tournament room and Shane's practicing the break. It's two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Right. So I go in the arena and I sit in one of the chairs and I watch him break for another two hours. He's down there. till four o'clock in the morning working on his 10 ball break when the entire room is completely empty. Jeez. You know, I just watched it and watched it and watched it. And then um, I asked him, I said, how'd you, how'd you figure it out? Like how, you know, how long did it take you? And he said, it took me like three days. My grandpa was racking for me. 
and it took me three days to learn how to like pop the cue ball and to get that feeling. And then once you have that feeling once you just do it over and over until it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So I mean, I, I went straight home from Derby and I practiced the break for three days straight. It was like eight or nine hours a day for three days. And, um, it sounds like a lot, but really, I mean, the break is the most important shot in the game. Yeah. And you know, people use that against me. Oh, he just, he just breaks good. All right, well, let's play nine on the spot. Let's play a race to a hundred nine on the spot. Cause guess what? If I'm playing someone a race to a hundred with a nine on the spot, I'm going to practice my break for 20 or 30 hours before we play. Yeah. So it, it's the same work ethic is going to go from one game to the next, to the next. So it really doesn't matter. Um, and I think Skylar, Max Lechner, uh, Dennis, they, they have that nine on the spot breakdown pretty good. Um, so it's, it really just comes down to the hours, but, um, yeah, it's people ask for secrets. Like, how do you get it to do what you want? And it's, it's really just a repetition thing. It's a, it's not a, it's not like a 30 mile an hour break. It's more like a smooth power, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. but it's all about hitting the cue ball square, which is going to help you hit the one square. Um, yeah. so there's, there's really not very many secrets besides just doing it for a week straight. <laughs> and nobody <laughs> likes to hear that answer. No. So it, it is what it is. Look, I, I started playing when I was five years old and, you know, I'm a decent amateur and, you know, I know that I need to work on my break. You know, it's just a part of the game. Like mm-hmm. you said, it's the most important shot. It's the most important and the least practice shot for most players, I think. <laughs> and so, you know, there's been right. times where I tell myself, I'm just going to go to the pool room and I'm going to break the balls, you know, until I can't stand anymore. And after like, I don't know, 30 minutes, then I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, you want to play some? Let's play some nine ball. You know, it's like, yeah, exactly. I kind of give up on it, you know. So I, I love yeah. hearing about that commitment, you know. When I tell you what, the give one of my sponsors a plug predator. I mean, the, the BK rush makes it a lot easier to do because it's, it's such a stiff, strong cue, mm-hmm. but it's still low deflection at the same time. A lot of these break cues that companies are making, they're really powerful. The balance is good. Like they're, you can, you can pop the cue ball really well, but as soon as you hit a little bit off center on the cue ball, there's so much deflection that it's mm-hmm. super hard to hit the one square. So mm-hmm. with the BK rush, you can still miss hit the cue ball a little bit. And I mean, there's, there's been multiple times where the cue ball pop back and stop and it has a little bit of spin on it. Yeah. But with other shafts, I can't do that. Like I can't tell you how many times I used to jump the cue ball off the table with other equipment with, you know, I'm not going to name names, but the higher deflection <laughs> brake shafts Yeah. and the predator is just so far ahead of everybody else. It's, it's crazy. So, yeah. I'm dying to get one of those actually for myself. So we'll see. they're awesome. Maybe soon. <laughs> I just got the BK Rush uh, red line. That's so what I want. Kind of tweaking with the weight a little bit and playing with it to get it to right where I want it to be. That red one, it matches my hair, you know. Gotta... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so who is your favorite player to watch and why? Um, Niels and Shane. Uh, well, and Ronnie, Ronnie O'Sullivan. Um, mm. With the break and just mental toughness, it's Shane. Like. Yeah. If, if you follow, like, and I mean truly follow Shane around for one week at a tournament and watch how focused he is, like, if there's an open table, he's hitting balls. Um, he's just, like you said, he's there for one reason. He's there to win. He's all business. He's not there to, you know, talk to the girls. He's not there to sign autographs. He's not there to, you know, be your friend. He's there to kill you is really what Shane's there to do. And that's why a lot of people fear him 
because he plays so well all the time. He's always in dead punch. So a lot of people say, oh, Shane wins because of his break. Well, he's won the Derby City one pocket. You know, he's gotten second in the bank pool. Um, you know, I don't think there's any players in the last, you know, 15, 20 years that has more titles than that guy does. Yeah. So uh, he's, he's just, he's a mental monster. The one time at Griff's in Vegas, he was giving some guy too big of a spot playing one pocket. They were playing like a thousand or two a game. And uh, I was actually up early. I was in the pool room at seven o'clock in the morning and Shane was playing still from the night before. And they played until like 10 o'clock wow. and he was in a bad game and they, they made an agreement that nobody could quit. If someone was ahead, you had to either quit even or you lose. Well, they were playing like five or six ahead and you know, Shane was down three games and he was down four. Then he went two games in a row and get, you know, he's up or he's down two and it was just back and forth. And I just watched him grind and grind and grind and grind. And he, yeah. he hates to lose more than anybody. And then yeah. I like the way Ronnie O'Sullivan strikes the ball. Oh, yeah. uh, he watches snooker videos on YouTube. He's just, he's a, he's a free, he's the best cuest that this game will probably ever see. Um, I was and then just, I like the way, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I was just telling my wife about snooker because, you know, she's, you know, we've been married for a decade and so she's been to some tournaments and, you know, but she doesn't really understand everything about pool. And I was explaining mm -hmm. to her like just how big a 12 foot snooker table is. <laughs> you know, it looks like a football field and the mm -hmm. pockets are small and these guys are, you know, striking the balls and hitting them dead center. And so to see what he does, especially with the pace that he plays, mm -hmm. it, it's unreal. I mean, the guy's yeah. just phenomenal talent. Yeah. And then you go to Neil's and I, what I really appreciate about him is we're similar in a lot of ways. Um, I really don't believe in natural talent. I think it's just uh, one of my favorite books is called Bounce by Matthew Syed. And it's about uh, putting your 10,000 hours of concentrated practice in. Yeah. Matthew Zayed's actually a three-time world table tennis champion. Mm -hmm. And he kind of talks about all the little nuances and the coincidences that came into him being a world champion. For example, uh, where he grew up, if, he were, if their parents would have bought or his parents would have bought a house on the other side of the road that they were at, he never would have gone to the same school district. Mm. Well, that school district and the other one were completely different when it came to table tennis. So if, if his parents would have bought a house that was one house over and across the street, he never would be became world champion. Yeah. So like there's all these little things that happen in your life that allow you to get to where, you know, you want to be. And there's a lot of times there's things you can't control. Yeah. So in terms of young players that are coming up, they might be in the junior ranks right now. Um, what's one piece of advice that you would give them you know, just, just like one nugget and, you know, something that could help them. Oh, read that book. Bounce. Read that book. Yeah. I'm serious. Read that book. Um, Cause the things that that book is going to tell them is way, way more than a little nugget that I can give them. But honestly, just believe in yourself and work hard. Um, I like that. There's, there's really, if you want it that bad, like if, if you obsess about one thing, and that's all that matters is say like you want to win the U S open. If, 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 I mean, you're always going to be looking for ways to get better. Um, and, uh, that's, that's kind of a Kobe quote. Kobe was like, you know, when I was 17 or 18, like my goal was to be the best player that ever lived. That was it. So I didn't go out and party. 
I miss weddings. I miss this. I miss that. Like I never miss a training session. And because those are all the things that pull other people away from, you know, doing their goals. So, I mean, you just have to be selfish and kind of uh, not in a bad way, but just in a, in a way towards, you know, directed towards your goals. Driven. And, um, yeah. I think, yeah, I think Kobe's a perfect example of that. So I'm going to shift gears, but before I do, I just want to give you an opportunity. I know you've been hosting clinics. You actually mentioned that, uh, I think in Wisconsin, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I want to give you an opportunity just to tell the listeners, you know, how to, to get connected with you if they, if they are that person that says, I'm going to drive eight hours and go see Tyler and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, get some, get some training. So how do they get a hold of you? How do they schedule that social media, whatever you want to put out there to sure. people connect with you? Yeah. Messenger or uh, Instagram, they can email me at eight, nine, 10 ball at gmail.com too. Um, and, that, and that's numbers eight, nine, 10. Yeah. Eight, nine, one, zero ball. Yeah. Um, and clever. I've, yeah, I know. <laughs> that was, that was a good one. Um, but I've had people flying from Texas and spent a couple days before. Um, I've had, I had a guy drive from North Carolina for one four hour boot camp. I thought that was wow. amazing. That's so cool. I took that guy and I gave him an extra couple hours on the side for, you know, making the drive. I thought that was, that was commendable for sure. That's awesome. But um, yeah, the main thing that I teach and it's, it's mainly what Johan went over with the Moscone cup team is speed to spin ratio. So what that is, is spinning the cue ball a lot and not hitting it very hard. And that's one thing that amateurs don't do very well is they don't get outside the cue ball very well. And then they hit the shots too hard because of that, which makes the pocket play smaller. So the sweeter you can hit a ball and sweet means high spin, low speed, the sweeter you can hit a ball, the bigger the pocket plays, you know, the, the more things you can do with the cue ball. So once you get that down, it's amazing. Yeah. That's a really interesting take on it. And you know, it kind of explains something that I experienced. I used to live in the Washington, D.C. area. And before the U.S. Open, a lot of the great Filipinos would come through and they'd go play in the U.S. Open. But before they did, they'd come rob our little Tuesday night tournament, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I remember I was playing uh, one time I was playing Andam at uh, Champions Billiards in Sherlington. And yeah. I'm playing him in the finals of the tournament. And he's he's you know, whooping up on me and I ended up making it hill hill and I lost. But the point of the story is I'm watching the way he maneuvers the ball three rails around the table. And it's like, he hits it half the, the speed that I do, you know? And I'm like, yeah, exactly. wow, it's just so silky smooth. And it's just, I think that's what you're getting at, right? Like where you don't have to power the ball around the table. You finesse the ball with spin. Right. Let's say you have two players that are a 550 Fargo, for example. Yeah. And one guy can hit the ball 30% softer than the other one and move the cue ball the same distance. Well, that guy is playing with a pocket that might play six inches wide. And the lower level player that hits the ball harder is playing with a four and a half or five inch pocket. Wow. So it, it, it makes the, the, the guy that can hit the ball softer a better player, even though their skill level is the same. Yeah. My dad was a pretty good player. He always used to tell me, I don't care who you are. You're hitting the balls too hard. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so One, let's be honest, when you're hitting the ball hard and they go in and it feels good, <laughs> you know, but sure it doesn't does. happen very often. Yeah. 
Do you have, uh, so part of the goal with this is to, you know, talk to the top players and let people get to know you a little bit. And then the other part is to just share some of the interesting stories or characters that you run into out there. You know, I think Paul over the years has not done the best job of that, right? We all know there's mm-hmm. characters and there's these amazing stories. I mean, I could tell you a number of things that I've seen when I've been out there, but, um, I think if we found a way to promote that, the fact that we're human and we're characters and there's funny stuff that happens and interesting stories. Do you have any interesting stories or, you know, funny characters that, that you want to share with us? It's an example of obsessing over your goals, like trying to figure out, you know, what you want in life. And uh, I went to the Philippines when I was 19 or 20 all by myself. I just, flew to the Philippines because that's where that's where wow. Shane said he went really so I, I took I don't know I had like three or four thousand dollars and I went to the Philippines and I made it last six weeks right I just played 50 dollar sets against all the best players played Carlo Beato I played Dennis I played uh, Anton Raga Ronnie Alcano you name it I played every single one they just robbed me right but I was just there to learn and um Jonas they, McConte. I mean, there, were, there's so many good players. They were but, willing to play you for $50. Well, they knew they were stealing and $50 in the Philippines is a lot more than $50 here. Oh, got it. Got so, it. I mean, you can, you can eat for a week on 50 bucks in the Philippines easily. Okay. You know easily. how, you know how it goes sometimes here though. It's like, I'm not even getting out of my chair for $50. You know, well, people. right. That's because you know, your hotel costs you $98 a night yeah. when you're here. So they're obviously going to want to play for a little bit more to cover their expenses. But when they're, when you're in their backyard, you know, I found a cheap flight. I think I went there for $500 round trip. Wow. You know, super cheap flight out of Chicago. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I had a friend there that I could stay with, so I didn't have an expense there, but I just played the best players in the world every day. You know, I mean, and it was typhoon season, you know, it was crazy. I remember this one pool where I went to, it was called uh, bench billiards. It was like a hut, no windows, no doors, pouring rain outside and we're we're playing pool you know for you know and at that place it was actually a pretty poor poor area so we were playing like five dollars a game yeah Uh, it was it was insane yeah um the guy that's racking the balls has his shirt off because it's so hot and humid and just nasty yeah Yeah, it's there's there's dogs running everywhere you hear the roosters (laughs) cockroaches i mean yeah you have to baby powder your hand every other shot because it's so humid and sticky so there's a reason those guys play so good when they come over here. They're yeah. just absolute killers. I, the, the table plays completely different too when it's humid. Like I used oh, to live it plays in, terrible. I used to live it in Florida awful. and it's almost like you have to overcut balls because they stick together first, you know, and then they release. Multiply, multiply those conditions by five. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, dude, <laughs> I've been down in New Orleans and played there. Yeah. Uh, so similar conditions and it's not even close. Yeah. Like it's incredible. Wow. So, I mean, it all just comes down to how bad do you want it? You know, I, yeah. I was like, you know what? I have a passport. Shane went to the Philippines. He stayed there for a couple months and got better. I'm going to go for six weeks and see how it goes. You know, that's uh, a business idea. Like we could start up a little uh, tourism industry where, you know, young players in the United States could go over to the Philippines. You know, we find like a little rental forum and just say, Hey, you know, We'll, we'll set everything up for you. We'll set up the matches. You just go over there and play because I've heard sure. that advice now from, from a number of top players, you know, who've spent time overseas, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, re- I remember uh, Mike Davis was telling me that he went to a tournament in Taiwan, I think it was. And he says that uh, it was so humbling for him because he walked down the street, went into a pool room his first night there, and he's a pro in the United States. And he walks in and he loses to just some guy. You know, <laughs> just, can't win. Just yeah, you can't win. Exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I've always thought about that. Like, wow, I wish I would have had that opportunity when I was younger to go over there. But like you said, I didn't make it happen. You know, I didn't, right. you know, do that. And so I think more players need to do that. That's, that's kind of cool. Yeah. The, the taxi, the taxi driver beat me. <laughs> nobody, nobody knows who he is. Wow. Just walked in. Hey, you want to play some? Oh yeah, sure. Okay. You're white. I'll play you. Just rob me. <laughs> He's like, Oh, I, I, I know you're not from here. Let's, let's play some. Oh man, that's funny. So switching gears to the Moscone Cup, uh, when when you were selected the first time to the Moscone Cup, you know I think a lot of people really didn't know what you were all about, didn't know your talent level, and so they were probably pretty surprised. In fact, I think they were pretty surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you? Um, on paper, did I deserve it? Probably not. Um, but I don't think there's any player maybe in the world, but definitely in the country that's hit more balls than I have in the last 10 years. Yeah. And I can, I, I'd be willing to bet if there's some way we could find out, but um, you know, I know I'm playing a lot. I'm always working on different things to make my game better. Um, and I focus on the little details that maybe some other people might not focus on to, you know, adapt faster. I try to simulate conditions um, and I'm always, you know, curious and looking for advice from other people. You know, I'm not, I'm not super, you know, arrogant or, Oh, he can't help me or whatever. Like I try and take as much advice from everybody and, you know, I'm going to take that and decide for myself. It's if it's something that I can think can help me, but I never really shun someone away, you know, when they have advice. Yeah. Well, you know, I think everybody knows now that you belonged. I, what I was saying is at that point, I think people were just surprised. And what was the moment like, when you found out, was it a phone call? You know, I can imagine like you were doing cartwheels. <laughs> I know I would. Be. Well, um, first, first I would do cartwheels, then I'd be like scared to death. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I, I remember when I found out, and it was a uh, it was a pretty good feeling. Yeah. Um, I just went straight to the practice table. <laughs> really? Just, yeah, I went straight to the practice table That's because, awesome. you know, it's it's game on. You yeah. know, you you can celebrate after you win. Making the team is, you know your job is to make the team and your job is to win. So just making the team isn't, isn't what you're supposed to celebrate. Yeah. And you were a part of history, right? Like it looked like the U S might never win again, but you were a part of that, you know, and now the momentum's back in the U S's favor. And I think what you guys have proven is like, if you look at it on paper each year, you know, Europe just has some monsters, you know, and we have great players Mm -hmm. too, but I think what we've seen these last two years is you guys really gel as a team. And, you know, I've been a part of teams. I played sports most of my life. And there has to be mutual respect for everybody on the team. But then there's also people that you really latch on to and enjoy and just have a great relationship with. Who is that from the U.S. team these last couple of years for you? Like, who is the one person you really latched on to? I think uh, Skylar is a really the, the big key to our team because he keeps everybody loose um and for me that's not always the best because i like to be a little bit more serious like you said earlier yeah but you know scholar just 
like I said, uh, a lot of people have mentioned that when he walked into the practice room on day four this year or last year in the Moscone Cup, he goes, well, boys, I woke up in dead stroke today. Like he hadn't hit a ball yet. That's, that's just his, that's just his attitude. Yeah. So he's always just uh, super confident and super just who cares? You know, if we win, we win. If we lose, we lose. Like he just goes out there, plays his best and whatever happens, happens. So he just kind of has that vibe, you know, with him that loosens everybody up a little bit. Yeah, that's awesome. So I guess we're going to find out soon uh, if you'll be making another appearance. And I think Jeremy's actually going to pick somebody next week from what mm-hmm. I hear, because I know Albin Ocean just got selected by Europe. Right. And um, what do you think of the, the, the first three so far? Do you think that's a good core with Justin, Skyler, and Shane? Yeah, I think they were automatic to begin with. They should always be there um, for, you know, the next probably good four or five, six years. I mean, maybe longer. I think those three guys should be on the team. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Like the nucleus. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that Kremlin Cup victory because, um, you know, I went through and looked at the player list from that event. And, I mean, there were some just monsters in that that event, plus the entire – that I guess it was the final eight for the Moscone Cup from Mm -hmm. the U.S. that were there. And you came out on top of that event. So – Take us through your mindset, you know, through the entire event. Because, you know, there's, there's tournaments where, you know, sometimes you're struggling a little, but you're getting by matches, and then you just keep building off that momentum, and sometimes you're just right. cru- on cruise control. How did that tournament play out? Well, this is good for the junior players, actually. Uh, not just the juniors, but anybody. But I didn't start out the event very well. Uh, I was playing terrible. I mean, you can go back in the YouTube matches and type in Tyler Steyer Kremlin Cup, and there's a couple – matches that had little cameras set up to watch the matches and i played awful like matches where i'd win like eight six or eight seven against guys that i i feel like i'm supposed to beat like eight two eight three maybe even worse right and uh i've done a lot better at you know stopping little mistakes early in matches from bothering me but at that point like i hated i i want to play perfect all the time and when i don't play perfect i just get pissed (laughs) it's just simple (laughs) as that i I want I, i visualize you know, playing perfect matches. And when it doesn't happen, I really don't like that very much. But anyways, I was talking to Johan about that. And I'm like, how can I get over, you know, these mistakes that I make? Like, how do I just get past that? And he told me a story about who GC, I don't know if a lot of people know him, but he was the world 10 ball champion at one time. Okay. And Johan was coaching him and Huji had the same problem. And he's like, listen, it doesn't matter if both of you make 99 mistakes in a race to 10. Whoever gets to 10 first wins. That's the goal. The goal isn't to play perfect pool. The the goal is to win. That's it. So just focus on getting to, you know, in the Kremlin Cup, it was race to eight. He said, focus on getting to eight first. That's all that matters. You make four or five, six mistakes. You can make three mistakes in one game. As long as you get to eight first, who cares? And every single match I just got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And to the point where I think my semifinal match was my best match. I beat one of the better young players from Europe, like eight, two or something like that. Wow. And then um, playing David in the finals, I was up three zero. And then I went from three zero down to six, three. Wow. You know, I just kept reminding myself, you know, don't worry about the mistakes. Just keep grinding, keep grinding, just get to eight first. And really that's the reason I won the tournament was that mindset. That's awesome. You know, because I think, 
you see it, you know, pool is a humbling game, right? And so you see yeah. players that they go out there and they have a bad match and it just, you can tell they're not going to recover from that. You know, and in fact, that tournament that I spoke about uh, earlier where I met you when we first played, you had a match that went hill hill early in that tournament and missed the ball on the side. I don't know if you remember that. It was against Bobby McGrath. And it was, a, it was pretty much a hanger in the side on an eight ball to, for Hill Hill. I do remember that match. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, wow, this, I hope this kid is like mentally strong because if not, he's probably going home because right. he was, you know, you played great to get back in that set. And, you know, I'm like, what just happened? And sure enough, 10 matches later, here you are coming back to play <laughs> third, fourth, you know? So I, I knew that you had that mental toughness after that. And of course you didn't miss any shots like that against me. So, you know, what are you going to do? But uh, yes, hey, uh, one day, one day I'd like another shot at you. <laughs> so um, I want to give you a chance to um, really talk about your sponsors and people who've been influential to your career because you know, let's face it, to travel the way you are and play in the events that you're playing, you know, you need people in your corner. So go ahead and, and share yeah. who that is. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, so my number one sponsor is Manning. Uh, Heath Manning is the number one diamond dealer in the world. Mm -hmm. And I actually met him in Canada at a tournament. And um, we just, we have such a good friendship first over our business um, that, I mean, we don't have a contract or anything like that. We're just, we have our own little sponsorship deal that we do. And he's helped me so much. Like a lot of players have, um, you know, they'll have a stake horse for a tournament where they pay all the entry fees, all the traveling expenses and everything. And then they have to, you know, split winnings and all that. I don't have that problem hmm. problem. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's pretty much all because of Manning. That's so, awesome. um, every tournament that I go to, I pay my own expenses um, you know, in that way, you know, when you lose, it hurts, you know, a lot more than if someone's just fronting the whole trip for you. Yeah. And then when you win, it feels really good, you know? So, um, I think that's really important to, you know, make like a little budget for yourself and pick out, pick and choose the tournaments that you can go to and, you know, front it all yourself. That way, when you do lose, it hurts really bad. And then when you do win, guess what? You, re you reward yourself. You got skin in so, the game. So, um, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, Manning helps me so much. I'm sponsored by both of his websites. Uh, his websites are diamondpooltables.com and then manningqs.com. And his Manning Qs website, he's got like over 4,000 billiard items. Like, if wow. you ever need something, yeah, if you need something, just call that number and be like, hey, Manning, do you have this? He'll be like, yep. Wow. <laughs> like, there's not, a, awesome. I don't think there's an item that he doesn't have. That's cool. So, um, yeah, so he's helped me a ton. And then uh, Predator, I mean, they flew me out to Boston at the Revo factory. A lot of people don't know that, but the Revos are made in the USA in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, Karim flew me out to Boston and I spent a couple of days with Paul Costain. And um, Paul's like describing all the steps to making a Revo and how it works and, um, you know, changing the taper, or changing the stiffness or changing deflection. And it's, it's really incredible just to be able to, get hands-on experience like that and, you know, be able to trust the equipment that you're using. Yeah. So, I mean, without Manning and without Predator, uh, I wouldn't even be here. Are you using the 12.4 or 12.9? Right now, because of all this COVID stuff, I'm actually tinkering with the 11.8. Oh, really? And 
yeah, I have, I have the custom 11.8 right now. And, um, I like it a lot. And the main reason I've, I was using the 12.4 a little bit this summer. So we have so much time. I can just really, you know, hit balls for hours and hours and hours. And yeah, there's no tournaments to play. So you can't really, it's not going to hurt you. So, um, my, my problem was whenever the cue ball got too close to the rail with the 12.9 shaft, it's just so hard to cue the ball. Um, just because you lose like 75% of the cue ball when it's frozen to the rail or close to the rail. Yeah. So um, then I asked him if I could try out the 11.8 shaft. And when the cue ball is close to the rail, I mean, it's, it's that much easier because it's smaller. Now it is super sensitive. So as soon as you start to elevate your cue too much or like some longer shots, I mean, your, your cueing just has to be that much better. So I think it's, it's easier to get in trouble with the 11.8. And then uh, the 12.9 is definitely the most accurate shaft. It's just because it's bigger. The sweet spot's a little bit bigger. But um, if you're playing, you know, five, six, seven hours a day, um, you know, it's, I think a little bit thinner shaft is better. Huh. So you're, you're still pretty early in your career, but have, has there been a rival to emerge, like someone that you just, you know, maybe always – it's a challenge for you or you've had tough matches against, or you've gone up against numerous times. Like who would that one person be? Alex Pegulain and Shane. I haven't beaten them yet. I've really? gotten really close. Yeah. I've gotten really close, but Alex always just seems to come with it. Like this one or two shots, he'll kick a ball in from nowhere mm. or he'll just do something stupid and beat me. <laughs> and then Shane, Shane does, you know, Winter break or alternate break, Shane holds the serve playing alternate break so good. And then he makes so many good decisions when he's, you know, he's just a hard guy to beat. Yeah. So uh, those two guys have given me fits, but I'll get them. Don't worry. Okay. We're going to keep an eye out for that. And, you know, at the level you're playing, there's no reason you shouldn't beat those guys, you know, a race to race 11 tournament. You know, it's just kind of an anomaly that you've yet to, to uh, get to that. Um, So, So is there anyone that you would like to match up with and play a big set? Um, you know, not put, not trying to put you on um, the spot, but I kind of am. Is there anybody you'd like to challenge? Like somebody who you think would be I'd, a I'd really like to – I'd like to play Kiamko again. Him and I played in, uh, in Vegas, and we played races of 21 for a good amount, and we broke even. And I wanted to just keep playing because I was learning so much. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think people realize how good of a player Kiamko is. Oh, like, his decision-making is unreal. Yeah. yeah, he moves so well. So, uh, when we were done, like, I just wanted to keep playing. I'm like, yeah. you want to flip the coin? He's like, no, 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 I'm done. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> come on. But uh, he's just – his shot selection was awesome. Yeah. So, um, he, he's kind of one of those players that you forget about sometimes just because, you know, you, yeah. you're always seeing him, but he is amazing. He's an amazing player. Mm-hmm. And he used to spin through the DC area. Like I mentioned before us open when it was in Chesapeake and, you know, yeah. he'd spin through there and he'd play in a planet pool event or one of those events I'd play in. And it was just like watching him like, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you can see that. <laughs> you know, the He's- stuff you'd see, it was just, ridiculous he's kind of the the ralph Suke of the philippines just real quiet just doesn't do anything fancy real slow and methodical around the table um but his cue ball is so good so he he's always got like a half ball hit or a three-quarter ball hit so every time he hits the cue ball 
he never has to hit it hard. It just moves into the position for the next one and the yeah. next one. Like he never gets straight in where he has to force follow two rails or draw back to the rail and come out. Like he's always in line. So <laughs> that's why yeah. it makes it look so easy. Yeah. It's funny. Like when my wife watches these players the you know, the top, top players like yourself and we're watching like a YouTube video, like when we watched your match last night, she's like, you know, he's not doing anything fancy. And I'm like, do you realize how hard it is to get, you know, right <laughs> on the perfect angle every time? So you don't have to look like you're doing anything fancy. I mean, that's just playing great pool. So there's a funny story about that. Uh, I don't know if it, what tournament was at Derby or us open or whatever, but someone, it was a player that hadn't seen much pool and this guy's like, I keep hearing so much about this buddy hall guy. Who's buddy hall. So everybody's pointing, you know, over there with all the people around the table, that's buddy hall. So he goes over there and starts watching and he's like, what's so special about this guy? <laughs> he's like, he, he doesn't do anything fancy. And I'm like, exactly. His cue ball is always like within two feet of the object ball and his speed control is perfect. So he never yep. has to do anything fancy. That's what makes him so good. Yeah. Fabulous player. Buddy Hall was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's say next weekend there's a big tournament, you know, COVID ends and here's your chance. You're going to go, I don't know, to Richmond, Virginia, Virginia, you know, open, whatever. And um, you now have a week to prepare. Take us mm -hmm. through what you'll do this week to prepare for a big event. Like how, you know, what's the day in the life of your preparation? Okay. Um, I kind of have a schedule that Johan made me to get ready for tournaments. Um, and so I'll practice a lot of single shots and single shots are shots where you just put the cue ball and the object ball in the same spot and you work on just ball pocketing and ball pocketing, ball pocketing. And then he has these um, dynamic shots where the object balls stay in the same spot, but now the cue ball is moving. So now you're working on speed control and shot making. Mm. And then he has certain drills where you focus on, um, you know, bumping into other balls and just, you know, creating situations that really weren't there in the first place. So it's kind of like a step-by-step -step thing, practicing the break for a couple hours, but I kind of have my own little routine that I do before, before yeah. tournaments. Yeah. So you've already accomplished so much and how old are you? 25? 25. So you've already accomplished so much at 25. What, where do you go from here? What, give me a short-term goal and a long-term goal. Oh boy. I think short-term goal is winning the, the world championships. I think that's the number one goal for every player. Um, just be a world champion. Um, long-term goal is be a multiple time world champion. I think a lot of people can do things once or twice but I think once you get um, either financially satisfied or just your, your ego is satisfied, you lose that drive. Mm -hmm. I think that's what makes players like Shane and Boosty and Alex, you know, so special is they've done it for the last 20 years. And that's, that's so difficult to do um, just to play at that high level for years and years and years and just make everybody, you know, obsolete. So that's the real goal is to win as many, world titles as possible well just majors u.s opens yeah you know world pool masters you know stuff like that win as many big events as you can yeah and you know i would hope that as the years go on you know we've seen matchroom step up and they have so many events now uh that you know they're really promoting and doing a great job with i'd like to see even more events and so that's one of the reasons that i'm doing this i really want to kind of you know help 
get the word out about pool and, you know, see what we can do if we can gather a following and get people excited about this and come up with new ideas. And so Mm -hmm. I'm really curious to hear from you because, you know, a lot of the ideas that I've heard about promoting our game are all just kind of regurgitated ideas that kind of came up from, you know, years ago, or, Mm -hmm. you know, think about it after COVID, can you imagine being a tournament promoter and going to a pool room and saying, yeah, I'd like you to kick up $3,000 for a $3,000 added tournament. You know, that's not going to fly. Uh, right. At least I don't think it is, you know, but what creative ideas, uh, do you have any creative ideas for pushing uh pool and, and kind of taking it to that next level in the United States? Um, I think, Ed from New Jersey is doing a really good job with the National Billiard League. It hasn't started yet, but I think that's going to be really special where we have four really big events each year. Um, and then, I mean, I'm just going to let, you know, Ed and Matchroom kind of do their thing because everything Matchroom does turns to gold. Yeah. Anytime, anything that, you know, Barry Hearn really wants to make big. I mean, the, the guy's a genius when it comes to, you know, growing a sport. I mean, you got 6,000 people watching darts, you know, yeah. in a big arena, really, you know? So before darts got big, if, if you were to say, Oh, Hey, just so you know, in 10 years, there's gonna be 6,000 people in this room watching the start tournament. You'd be like, yeah, right. Yeah. You know? So, um, and that's one of the reasons why I train so hard is, um, the competition's great now. Don't get me wrong. Like the, the level of play I think is better now than it's ever been. I mean, you look at all the younger players, um, you know, before it was kind of an older man's game, a little more experience. Like when you're in your late twenties, early thirties, even forties, like those, the 30 year olds were the ones that were dominating. Yeah. Now you got filler and Kachi and Skyler and Fetter, you know, all these young, just monsters, you know, it's, it's a, it's an offensive game. It's a young man's game now. So what's going to happen is matchroom. It's going to be like a big snowball. Matchroom is going to get momentum going. And I'm going to say right now, you heard it here first in the next four or five years, the world championships is going to pay like a hundred thousand, 120, 150,000 for first. Right. Really? And guess what? All those guys that are playing Chinese eight ball and all the guys that can't make it on the tour playing snooker, they're all going to come over here and try and get that prize money. That I don't, I don't believe that the best cueists are playing pool right now. You know, you look at Gareth Botts over there playing, you know, that Chinese eight ball and he yeah. broke and ran a seven or eight pack playing nine ball on a Chinese table. You know, so if, if the incentive is there to come and play, yeah, you know, they're going to start coming over by the boatload. All the Chinese players that nobody's heard of before that play Chinese eight ball for a living are going to be like, oh, hey, the pool pool's paying $150,000 now. Let's go, let's go play some pool. Yeah. And once they learn how to, you know, they just have to learn the shots and learn the break. You know, the 10 ball break isn't very easy, but like the nine on the spot, nine ball break, I mean, it's, it's not you know, super difficult. It's kind of a neutralizer. Yeah. So once they learn the moves and the break, I mean, they're going to come after us for sure. Yeah. So you just got to be ready for that. And don't get me wrong. I think 150,000 would be great, you know, compared to what it is now, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm preparing for another interview with someone who has won a world championship. And I remember researching and trying to figure out, well, what did they win? $30,000. $30,000 for you're the best player in the world. 
you know, to win the world championship, $30,000. That's sick. Right. If you go out and compete against, like right now, if you were to go out and compete against 128 of the best players in the world, like the U.S. Open or U.S. International Open or one of these big tournaments that they're having, and you snap that puppy off, you know, it, you should get a million dollars. You should get $2 million, you know, um, just in terms of the talent that's required to do that. Right. You know, and so man, I'd love to see that happen one day. And, uh, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to try to promote the game and, and uh, see if we can get there one day. Because I, to me, that, like, you deserve to have a tour. You deserve mm-hmm. to have benefits. You deserve to not have to worry about how am I getting expenses for this next event. You know, right. Sure. The way I, way I view it. So. Well, and a lot of players are not players, but people say, like, oh, you know, that athlete, like that basketball player is not worth a hundred million dollars. Nobody is worth a hundred million dollars. Right. But that person to that organization in that city is worth that much money because of the revenue it brings in. So yeah. once the players start bringing in more revenue to the game, then they're worth, you know, go up. That's, it's just that simple. Ronnie O'Sullivan's worth like 12 million or something like that. But look yeah. at anytime anybody mentions snooker, they're like, oh, what's Ronnie doing? What's Ronnie? They don't care about anybody else. What's Ronnie doing? Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's, he's like bigger than the game. So right. once you get to that point, you know, now you're getting somewhere. Yeah. So who else would you like to see me interview on this podcast? Oh. You know, maybe somebody that, know. maybe somebody that might have interesting perspective or funny, a character, you know. Um. Interview Skylar. He's always funny. Skylar? <laughs> yeah, interview Sky. Okay. All right. I'm going to shoot go, for go that. Pick, but go pick on Skylar. Maybe you can help connect me and make that happen because I'd love to talk right. to Skylar. Sure. Cool. Hey, um, I wanted to give you a chance for any final thoughts that you have or, you know, any shout outs you want to give. Uh, I really appreciate your time today. And, you know, it's been great. I think there's going to be a lot of nuggets in here that people can take and use on their game and also get to know you a little better, but mm-hmm. anything else you want people to know about you? Really? I just want to thank all the people that have supported me, you know, friends, family, coaches, sponsors. I mean, there's, there's so many people to name. Um, it's, it's, uh, really overwhelming to have so many great people behind me. Um, that, uh, you know, and I'm doing what I love for a living, you know, I, I work hard for it. I think I deserve it, but it's still, uh, still having the, the right people behind you makes it, you know, a lot easier than if you were by yourself. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, Tyler, listen, uh, good luck out there on the tournament trail when things open back up and, uh, we're going to be pulling for you when you get back out there and you're playing in events, you know, I wish you the best and uh, just keep at it, man. I'd love to see you win a world championship or two. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thanks so much for your support. All right. Well, thanks.